Broadway Radio listeners, my name is Natalie Nowak, and today we have a special episode for you. We are going to be discussing the recent New York Times review of the off-Broadway revival of Smokey Joe's Cafe, which, as I'm sure most of you know, has been all over social media this week because of the section of the review in which Broadway star Alicia Umphress is body shamed. This review was written by Laura Collins Hughes, and I'm going to read the excerpt just so you have some context. Quote, Umphress, by the way, is bigger than the other women on stage, and the costume designer, Alejo Vietti, doesn't seem to have known how to work with that, dressing her in an unnecessarily unflattering way. He does better with the skimpy, yet not overly revealing, pink fringe outfit Emma Degerstedt wears and jiggles in for the leering number, Teach Me How to Shimmy, end quote. After reading the review, I was talking with the Broadway radio team about the best way to approach the issue, and I thought that having an all-female panel was the way to go. So in this episode, you will hear my conversation with Christy Cates and Georgia Stitt. I think we had a great discussion on the topic and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's jump into the episode. So right now I am joined by Christy Cates and Georgia Stitt, but before we get into the episode, I'd like to have each of you say some shows you've been involved in or in Georgia's case, some shows you have written or where people might know you from just to give a little introduction. So let's start with you, Christy. Sure. Uh, Hey, I'm Christy Cates, and I uh, was in the original Broadway cast of Wicked. And uh, since then, I have been in Finding Neverland on Broadway and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory on Broadway. Cool. And Georgia? Hi, I'm Georgia Stitt. I'm a writer, composer, lyricist, and I um, I just wrote a musical called Snow Child that premiered at Arena Stage. I have another musical called Big Red Sun that just premiered in Philadelphia at the 11th Hour Theater, and uh, I music-directed Sweet Charity Off-Broadway last season with Sutton Foster and Lee Silverman directing it with an all-female band and a mostly female creative team, so that um, is pro- probably why I'm here. <laughs> awesome. So I'd like to start off by hearing your initial reactions. So after you first read the review, what did you think? Christy, let's start with you. Um, well, I, I actually didn't read the, the whole review. I saw, um, you know, on Facebook, a, 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 my entire feed was filled with comments about, about the writer's comment. And um, so I went back and I looked and I thought, at first I was like, no way, I can't, you know, I can't believe that somebody would actually comment on that. I, I was in a little bit of disbelief. Um, and when I finally stopped to digest it, I was, uh, first of all, I've known Alicia for many years and have been, you know, had a, a talent crush on her for, for all of those years. And it never entered my mind to think about size because, I mean, we have actors of all shapes and sizes represented on on Broadway, though, I mean, obviously we know it leans more heavily on one side. Um and I was upset, you know, as a as a woman myself who has struggled with size all my life. It was disheartening for a lot of reasons, but I think the number one reason is because Alicia is a um, a a great example for so many women who have. Uh, refused to sort of acquiesce to what the ideal, quote-unquote, is and has lived her truth and has been quite successful. And so it was more than just a shot at Alicia. It was kind of a shot at anyone who isn't that typical um, Broadway body. 
if that makes sense. I mean, we're, we're inundated with it. Get your Broadway body snatched, all of these things that are wonderful that, that, you know, are good for making you healthy. But I think there are those of us out there that no matter how hard we try, we'll never fit that model. And, uh, you know, there are some ladies, I don't want to call them out by name, but that have, have stayed really true to who they are. And it doesn't seem like that, um, that that's a great example for the other ladies who might be out there looking to these women as sort of beacons of light of acceptance, if that makes sense. Yes, definitely. Well said. Well said. How about you, Georgia? What did you think after you read it? Well, Christy, that's a lot of great thought, a lot of great commentary there. Um, I, like Christy, I read about it on social media first. Um, I saw a hashtag Feroche, and I didn't know what that was. <laughs> and so I started poking around and, um, and you know, worked backwards in the same way that Christy described and sort of figured out what it was. And then um, I actually didn't read the full review until this morning um, in preparation for this call. <clears throat> but... Um, uh, so that's my, that, my first thought was like, oh my god, I can't believe this is happening. And then I thought, oh my god, I can't believe it's a female reviewer. There are so few of them to begin with that the female reviewer would take this tactic. I started to wonder about the psychology of that, what her story is, and what you know I, to understand why that is and why. Uh, and her response to the critique was, um, I wasn't attacking Alicia. I was attacking the costume designer, which oh. I think was. Probably true, but she also referred to Emma Dagerstadt, who is who in her pink jiggly outfit or something. And I thought that's inappropriate too. Like we're not talking about that. That is also inappropriate. And then I remembered that um, my husband is Jason Robert Brown, and he did Songs for a New World recently, and she reviewed Songs for a New World, and I reread that review this morning as well. And she re- she references Shoshana Bean's costume as well, and she referenced. Um, there, it is true that in the early, the dress rehearsal and the first performance, um, Shoshana's cleavage was sort of popping out over the top. It was like dangerously close to being a wardrobe malfunction and, and they fixed that in future performances. And so when I read the review, I was like, well, that is true. That is, that was my perception of the show too. And then I thought, but is that appropriate, an appropriate thing to mention when reviewing the show in the New York Times for the archive for mm-hmm. that, that thing that happened in performance or are we reviewing the show and are we reviewing the performances? Because this is the permanent archive of, of what the yeah. show actually was. So, so now I'm very interested. I mean, those are the only ones I've read and I don't, you know, I don't want to attack the critic because I have now only read two of her reviews consciously with this in mind. But, um, but I, I am struck by that, by that experience and, uh, and the fact that certainly she's not mentioning how the costumes look on the men. Um, and I, and I, I mean, I guess to take this thought one step further, I think sometimes, as women, we actually internalize the bias so deeply that we start to regurgitate it. We start to turn it around. Mm. And I, um, I have thought that about myself in the way that I initially perceive in my business female musicians that like if I'm introduced to a female musician, I might be like, Oh, is she any good? Why haven't I heard of her? As, which I, you know, because if she was any good, surely I would know who she is. Um, that that bias is so ingrained in me and I've had to fight so hard for visibility and to be considered an equal to my male peers that that somehow I've internalized it and turned it around. So that's the big question mark I have here and I'm you know I, I don't know. I don't know whether that's valid or not, but I do oh, think that it is 
um, it is, is, is something I, I know as a musician, I don't know that I, I am, um, what's the word subject to body shaming as much as to, to all the other stuff that's attached to gender. But, um, but I feel like they're all tied up in, under the same, in the same ribbon. Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. And and when I read it, I was like, I just don't see why this comment is necessary to the whole, like, theater is an art. Are we reviewing the art or are we, I don't know. I was just taken aback because I was like, okay, what is, what's the purpose of this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, my response to uh, theater is an art. Yes. Theater is also a business. And I think there are certain yeah. people in the theater business who would say, Oh, it's only partially an art. But even if you approach it from a business point of view is what is, I don't understand. What is the point of that? Is she making social commentary? Is she, um, yeah. And, and I also think of course, in a perfect world, I'd love reviews that don't throw a human being under the bus. Um, and so the part of me that wants to protect Alicia or any woman who gets thrown under the bus for how she looks, um, gets very defensive on her behalf. And I think, well, we all get thrown under the bus. That's what a bad review is. You know, people get Mm -hmm. thrown under the bus. Um, but very rarely is it for that. And I think Christy, what you said at the beginning of, um, that the, the theater skews more towards one side, that there are more, there are more roles for, we'll just say for skinny women. There are just are more roles for your traditional, yeah. you know, um, American ideal of what beautiful looks like. Right. And the the part of me that's a writer wants to respond to that and think like there are there are so many more women whose stories deserve to be told. Like we've got the skinny women, and or you might have a story about a girl whose identity is wrapped up in the fact that she's big, like hairspray, something like that. Who it, it right. is part of her identity. But what about just a normal person? who happens to not look like an ingenue. What about that right. story? So the writer well, I, in me is like, we just need to write more of those characters. Uh, this might be a little non sequitur, but you saying that, I mean, I remember um, when I was playing Alphaba, and this was, my God, two, uh, 12 years ago. Um, you know, I did the thing that so many people never, ever, ever should do, and that is read a Broadway chat board. And, you know, there were plenty of nice and, and awful things said about my talents, but I remember reading one thread where, and this is Alphaba, a role that, you know, I mean, uh, in the movie, yes, she is um, tall and and skinny, right, the Wicked Witch, but I remember Mm -hmm. someone posting something that said, I heard uh, the producers told Christy Kate she had to go on a diet or lose 20 pounds or something, right, and Mm -hmm. I was, I mean, I was a size six or eight at the time, it's like, are, are you kidding and I just remember more than anything, all the other, all the other, you know, quote unquote reviews on that uh, chat board. I've sort of let go. It's like not. It doesn't mean anything. But the fact that someone posted this thing that was a complete untruth, based on I guess their own opinion about what I look like in my costumes as a green witch, <laughs> was like, are yeah. you kidding me? Um, wow. And so, and so that just goes along with like telling stories of people who are all different shapes and sizes. Nobody, nobody says what these fictional characters have to, have to look like, you know? Anyway, sorry, that just popped into my head and. No, but that's very real. That's, that's about. And in, in the case of the chat boards, and we're talking about social media, social media is part of what made this, this story blow up as well um, because of Alicia's response to it and the way the community rallied around her. It is this idea that these issues are, um, are, are things that explode, and, and who knows 
in your case, who knows what started it or what the truth came from, but it ultimately becomes an entire industry-wide conversation about something that doesn't have anything to do with our business. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is there an archetype for women where we don't have to be either the beautiful love interest or the sidekick who's a little bit big but okay with it, you know? And in my soapbox is the more the more we have female writers, the more female characters will become complex. So much of the writing world is, uh, I don't want to say dominated, but it's, you know, the majority of the writers who write theater are male, and or at least the ones that are produced. Let's let's say that. Um, and so I think there's something about that that is valuable too. But but the archetypes about the, who we want to see on stage and who sells and what sort of stories sell is is a big part of the problem. Another sort of perspective to interject into this conversation is for many years when I first started working, I worked as a vocal coach. And so um, a lot and lots of actresses would come to me, actors and actresses would come to me and work on their material or their audition material and that sort of thing, and especially college students and right out of college, learning you know how to audition and how to start in this business. And I remember one story in particular where this woman came to me, this young woman came to me, and she had, you know, had a ferocious belt, and she was everything, everything, everything that she should be. Um, and she was overweight. She was heavy. And, and I wrestled with, do we have this conversation? Do we have this conversation? Has anyone talked to her? Or am I the person, if I bring it up, am I the person who crushes her dreams? Is the reality check that she's not going to get hired and that's why, is the, um, you know, and I, I, for weeks, I remember wrestling with it, like, is it a thing that you just don't mention? Or is that going to be like five years before she figures it out and finally she's like, why didn't anybody say to me that if I just lost weight, you know, um, and I, it was the beginning of me wrestling with, um, like, what is my responsibility in this? And, and, and I thought about that when I read the review, like, is there really a rule that she can't mention it, that the reviewer can't, is, is there a rule that she can't mention it? And, and part of what I wrestled with at that time was like, to what end is she mentioning it? Like for what benefit? The part about throwing the actress under the bus. But so ultimately with this young woman, I did mention it, but I mentioned it with all the trepidation that I have in my, my, as I'm telling the story now, I was like, look, I'm your coach and this is a reality of the world. And I'm going to just say it. There are people who will not hire you for this issue. And you have control of that. If you don't care, you throw this comment out the window. If you do care, then I want you to think about what, what kinds of roles you want to get, who you've seen play them in the past. Do you feel like this is an issue that you come up? Cause I was trying to make it to give her the power to think about it, you know? And, yeah. um, and I, I guess that's where the story ends is like that I really wrestled with whether it's whether it's meant to be unspoken, whether it's a thing that we're allowed to talk about or not. Yeah, I, I mean, along those those same lines, I mean, my my own personal experience is that I, I moved here, you know, in college, I was told to lose 20 pounds. And instead of losing 20, I gained 20 because it it, it was such a. Oh. a mind F on me. I don't know if I'm allowed to curse here, but, um, and then I got to New York and I was a size, I guess, 14 and I was not booking anything at all. I mean, I booked an off Broadway ensemble Gilbert and Sullivan thing, which was great, but I hired someone who was a, uh, not a life coach, but like a career coach. And she was like, listen, you, you have to, you have to lose weight. You're a leading lady. You have to lose weight. So um, I did. I lost 
like 30 pounds. And my first big New York callback, I went in, I felt beautiful. I felt really great. And I remember my agent calling me and saying, they loved you for the standby for this particular role, but they need someone who fits into the standby who's leaving costumes. And that person is probably, you know, still 20 pounds thinner than I was at a size six or eight. So I just remember going, are you kidding me? Like, I just moved here. I did the Atkins diet. I haven't had a carbohydrate in two years. I've worked out every day. And here's my big chance. And I should be booking this. But I don't fit the costumes. It was it was really something, you guys. Like, it was really, you know. I mean, it is yeah. what it is. But that is what it is. I didn't spend a lot of time uh, just b- because of who I am. I didn't spend a lot of time getting mad at myself. But but I, I was like, wow, it just was a big slap in the face. And, you know, that perhaps was about money, not even about the way I look. Uh, this conversation is clearly bringing up a lot of memories for me, which I had not spent mm-hmm. a lot of time sitting with. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. It's interesting to think that the um, the conversation about body shaming brings up so much about body image because of what I'm really mm-hmm. taking away from what we're all saying is that there is – what the outside world puts on you, which if you're not, you know, the ideal American size is shame, you know, so that's the shaming that comes from the outside. But then how much of it we internalize? Like I have heard many, many times stories about people who um, didn't fit the costumes and so on you go. And I've heard it about height and I've heard it about, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah, sure. So I do think that that's a valid response, but I have never heard it from the point of view of from the other side of like how hard you work to get where you, where you were. And then still to, like, what it feels to get that response back. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, yeah. so I think so much of the body image is, in, is there. And I, 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 while you were talking, I was thinking, um, do men feel this? Like, do men get, you didn't fit the costume? Do they get that feedback? I'm not sure I've ever heard. I mean, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not yeah, sure I've ever know. heard a man say he didn't fit the costume, and that's why... Um, he didn't get the part. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there are other other physical reasons why a guy wouldn't get, I mean, I've heard many times, you know, has, hasn't been lately, but people saying, Oh, you have to beef up or you're never going to play this role. So it is, it's a, it's a body shaming in a, in a different way. But again, it's, it's, is that necessary for that role? Right. Yeah. And I think going back to what we said about whether or not it's someone's place to tell a student that or, whether it's a reviewer's place to say that. I think I think it really depends who you are in relation to that person. Like, if you are someone's coach and you're saying, like Georgia said, you know, these are the facts, this is how the business is, so taking that into consideration, here's what, you know, I'm going to tell you, I think that a coach has the right to do that. Well, she could have yeah. still she could have still commented on the costumes yes. without yes. mentioning the other things about Alicia. Exactly. There's a way to to mention it. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was especially egregious because of it in in uh, comparison to the girl who did look good. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Yeah. That yeah. made it worse. Agreed. Totally. So before we wrap things up, does anyone have any final thoughts or just kind of ideas of what 
we as a community can do moving forward to help others be more sensitive and aware of this issue. I mean, I feel like I feel like there's there's really good progress being made in this particular on this particular subject in uh, you know our country at large. I will I will say that. However, there's there's also a, a reality that I think that is just never going to go away, which is which is what you know audiences. And I'm being careful about this because I don't want to say this in a way I don't I don't mean. Audiences expect to see a certain ideal uneducated audiences, let's say, theater, uh, people who enjoy theater but not necessarily are aficionados, they they expect to see something. And because, as Georgia mentioned before, yes, musical theater, Broadway, off-Broadway is, is an art. It's also a business. So I don't know that this subject in particular is, is ever going to be solved. But I think what we can do as a community is let it not be part of of our own bias. I think that the way that the community responded, especially on social media, um, has been has been amazing. And I think that's what's what's needed. It doesn't help, you know, Alicia, who actually needs no help. Her response was perfect, and she's a strong, beautiful woman who you know, of course, was probably hurt by this comment, but I don't think it's going to affect the rest of her life. But, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to speak for her. It might. But I think it's just, it's awareness. And, you know, as a teacher now myself, it's something that I'm very cognizant of with, with my students. You know, you there is a way, as Georgia was speaking about earlier, to say, you know, listen, this is the reality. You're going to do what you want to do, and, and that's totally your right. But, this it is my job to tell you the reality and share my own personal experiences with with my students you know to to see to to, to just so that they understand that the business isn't always as forgiving as the your friends at the club you're singing at or whatever anyway mm-hmm. it's hard to separate those things sometimes well, yeah. i do yeah i do think that the um sorry no please please go ahead i'm rambling I, I was going to say I do think that the um, the there there could be response to this conversation like oh my god they're so sensitive and so soft headed and they work in the theater don't they know like <laughs> your heart right. is going to be broken your heart is going to be broken of course every experience that you have that is part of you know what we call show business that's part of it but I do think um, that what you're asking is about uh, just this larger cultural bias I also think we're not going to change the way the world looks at women I mean look at all the art since the beginning of time we're not going to change the way that the world sees women but I do think that it ultimately comes down to a conversation about representation and I think um, who's in the room when casting happens matters, you know, that, the, mm-hmm. that these conversations yeah. happen at the casting table. You know, like if two, if we're down to two actresses for the same role, like somebody in the room can say, why? Why are we, why are we leaning towards this woman when this woman is actually a great singer and viable, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Like, can we call it out in that moment, in the casting moment? Can we, um, and then, you know, for me, I, like what I said before, I just really internalize it into, can we write roles for women that don't, that aren't about how they look, that aren't about their weight, you know? And uh, there's a show that I'm writing right now where I've recently gone back and done a rewrite and I've sort of taken out all the references where the women, where the woman talks about 
that aren't significant to the plot, but she talks about men she's dated. And you're like, oh, I dated this guy once who blah, 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 tells a story. And I took all of those out because I thought, why do we only see women in the context of how, how they relate to men or how they're viewed by men or, or, you know, what we call the male gaze or, it's you know, in this not necessarily heterosexual predominant world, then it's not necessarily just men, but how we're viewed by the outside world as sexual objects. Like, let's just take that away. And then I looked at, like, what's left? What's left underneath once those stories are gone or once that, then what's gone is this woman's agency, this character's agency, where she can, she's allowed to have her own thoughts and her own feelings without being um, in the context of how she's viewed by other people. And so for me, it goes all the way back to the writing, and then it goes to the casting, and then it goes to the costumers, and then it goes to the reviewers. And, you know, it is an industry-wide change that starts from what if we considered women to be viable for other things besides how they look? What would happen then? Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. it's that's so interesting, Georgia. And I I just want to uh, as you you bring up such good points, and and I'm just thinking again back to my own experiences of moments of when comments were made about my body, both positive and negative, by the costume department. I mean, I, I'm just again, I'm just having these recollections of where it's it's people. People, men and women, have this, they feel, especially costumers, who I, who I love, but, but the, you know, because we're naked around them as they're, as they're um, measuring us or whatever. But, like, I'm just thinking, I can, I, I'm not going to say them here, but, but I can think of co- uh, comments, positive and negative, from each of the major shows that I've done, which still live within me. Like, I think that's something that we have to be aware of, is that words can matter, even if you are alone trying on a costume, if that person says something to you, maybe maybe other people don't internalize it and hold on to it the way that, that I have, but it affects you. Just the, the license that, that there is to just make a comment whenever you want, as this, as this reviewer took. The reviewer took the license to comment on Alicia's size, which in her mind wasn't the problem. It was the costume on her. We have, you know, I think that's the thing is that. Exactly. Is that, Mm -hmm. you know, just because we can doesn't mean we should. Yeah, I I love that. And um, I think that that's a good note to end on. Christy and Georgia, thank you so much for being a part of this episode and doing this today. I'm grateful to you for making this work at such short notice. And, um, I really enjoyed hearing your perspectives on this sensitive issue. Before we go, let's just tell the listeners where they can find you on social media. Georgia, we'll start with you. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, my website is georgiastitt.com. It's S-T-I-T-T, georgiastitt.com. And um, it's the same on Instagram and uh, Twitter. I have a Facebook, but I keep it pretty private, so don't do that. <laughs> um, there's a YouTube page. It's Georgia Stitt Music, all that. You can, you can find me. Most of it's centralized in my website. Thank you. All right, cool. And Chrissy? Hey, so um, don't follow me on Twitter unless you just want to see retweets about um, our current administration, um, because that's really what I do on there. But my Instagram is just Christy Cates. Um, I think I wish I could tell you if it's like Christy underscore Cates. I don't know. It's a picture of me in a blue dress. And um, I... Uh, 
I just switched my um, website because I thought I was really smart and I could keep it ChristyCates.com but do it myself at Squarespace, which is proving ab- absolutely impossible. So if anyone listening knows how to do Squarespace and wants to earn a few extra bucks, <laughs> give me a yeah, shout out my, because my website is, is non-existent right now and I am, am not too proud to admit that I have no freaking clue what I'm doing. So that's that. <laughs> So um, we, we would love to hear from our listeners, so feel free to reach out on social media with any feedback, and we are accepting applications for Christy's website renovation, <laughs> so you can send those in too. Um, we'll be happy to look through those. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Natalie underscore Noack, and make sure to follow Broadway Radio on Twitter for updates.